everyone, it's Alyssa, and welcome to the Laugh Out Loud podcast. everyone and welcome to today's episode. I wanted to start off by saying I hope each and every single one of you are doing well mentally, physically, all of the above. Just keep pushing through, stay hopeful during these times. I know it can be hard but we're all going to get through this pandemic. We've made it this far so just keep hanging in there. But today's episode is completely different from any other episode I've ever recorded. I asked on the Laugh Out Loud Instagram account if you were all interested in a true crime episode. And the response was 100%. It's something you are all interested in. So we're going to take a break from talking about myself. I know it's definitely getting boring and change topics today. Also, sorry that this podcast is being posted on Saturday. I know my usual post date is Friday, but I really wanted to take my time gathering all the correct information so I can explain this case in the most accurate way possible and give you guys all the details necessary. True crime podcasts, documentaries, all of that I've always been interested in as well. So in today's episode, I'm going to be uncovering the case of the Watts family. This case is actually pretty popular. It has a Netflix documentary on it. I believe it is called American Murder, The Family Next Door. And um, it's not an old case by any means. So we're going to uncover that today. The documentary explains the case with real-life videos of the family from before the case to what happened after, but I'm going to be explaining the case with a lot of detail. Some I feel weren't addressed in the documentary, but of course, if you want to see these videos, visually see the case explained, then that documentary is on Netflix. Before we begin though, I want to start with a disclaimer. This case does involve domestic violence, death, really triggering components. So if you don't want to hear that, I deeply advise and understand that you don't continue listening to this podcast. And I just want to make sure that this disclaimer was the start of this episode because we are going to be getting into some really dark and tragic um, details with this case. My deepest respect and condolences go to the victims of this case. I hope through podcasts like these and the Netflix documentary that this case is able to get the awareness it deserves. So let's get into the case of the Watts family. So this case is regarding the Watts family. So we have Shanann Watts, who is 34 years old at the time, Chris Watts, who is 33 years old, Bella, their firstborn daughter, who is four years old, and Celeste, also known as Cece, who is three years old. So Shanann and Chris met in North Carolina, and they got married there in November of 2012. They actually met on Facebook, and anyone that was friends with Shanann on Facebook knew she was extremely active on the app. She would post videos and pictures of the family, go on lives regularly, and even posted the video announcing her pregnancy to Chris that they were um, expecting their third child together. So a lot of people were able to gain a lot of insight on her life. And to many, the Watts seemed pretty much perfect. Like they had the perfect family, the perfect life. They always seemed happy. And they later found out they were having their first boy and he was to be named Nico. So this was super special to Shanann. 
she was excited to have their first boy together because Chris really wanted a boy and she was really happy that she could give him that and she felt it would be the completion to their family so really at this point in life everything seemed to be going perfectly. So a little bit about Shanann and Chris's extended families just a detail I want to add now Shanann stated in Facebook live videos that prior to meeting Chris she was going through one of the darkest times in her life she was battling lupus but during all of that she met Chris and said I quote I couldn't have asked God for a better man he helped her through that dark time and during all of that Shanann just fell more in love with uh, Chris and even her family loved Chris for her. This was especially important because Shanann had gone through a difficult divorce a few years prior, but they really, really felt like she finally met the man that she deserved, a man that could give her the world and treated her right. So Shanann's parents loved Chris, but on the other hand, interviews revealed that Chris's mom and Shanann never really got along, even from the start. Um, Chris's mom always said that Shanann wasn't good enough for her son. She disliked the fact that um, she was taking him away because they were going to be moving to Colorado after they had gotten married. So just a lot of tension between Shanann and Chris's mom. And um, she actually didn't attend their wedding ceremony that was held in North Carolina. But regardless, the two have a successful wedding and they move to Frederick, Colorado to start their family. They really feel like it's an amazing place to start their family and raise their children. So in Colorado, Chris worked for Anadarko Petroleum Corporation, which was a natural gas production company. And Shanann previously worked at a children's hospital in HR, but it required her to be gone from her kids for long periods of time. And she really felt like she wasn't going to be spending the amount of time that she really wanted to with Bella and Celeste. But later in 2015, Chris and Shanann ended up having to file for bankruptcy. But shortly after this, she began working for a new company named Lavelle. And basically, Lavelle, also known as Thrive, is a um, company that sells and advertises health supplements online, on Facebook, Instagram. I've actually seen a couple of the ads. I um, have heard just from friends, too, that they've seen them, they've come across them. So it is a pretty popular brand. Um, but this job was all around much better than her last. Shanann really loved the fact that she could work from home. She could be at home more, spend more time with the kids. There were paid business trips for her to travel. But despite all of that, she just felt like it was what she really, really needed. And it was the perfect change to happen in her life. So Shanann went on to post on Instagram in June. Basically, the post was her saying how happy she was with this new lifestyle. She said that she's living for herself and having so much fun with her career. And um, I can read her exact words at the end of this post. So in quote, I am in love with this lifestyle of just living and enjoying every moment with my family. I am creating memories and living life to the fullest. So again, to the outside world and all her followers, Shanann and her family really did seem to have the perfect life in a happy home. A little after she posted this, at the end of June, Shanann announced in a Facebook Live that she was going to be going on an exciting business trip to San Diego with Chris for a few days and shortly after this, traveled to North Carolina with Bella and Cece to stay with her mom, dad, and younger brother Frankie for six weeks, which they lived in North Carolina still, so she was going to be traveling across the country to be with her family and spend time with them. June 26th to August 7th, 2018 was the duration of their stay in North Carolina, and 
Evidently, Shanann was excited for the trip that was going to come. Getting to spend time with Chris, seeing her kids get to spend time with her grandparents, all while carrying this new life throughout it all, baby Nico. So Shanann and Chris went on their quick trip to San Diego, just the two of them. And after that trip, they came back to Colorado, where then she and the kids flew to North Carolina that same night on June 26th. Now, Chris didn't end up coming to North Carolina until the end of July because he said he had to be in Colorado for work. He couldn't take that much time off. But throughout the entire month that Chris and Shanann were apart, Chris being in Colorado for work and Shanann being in North Carolina with her family, their relationships started really declining. Chris was not returning Shanann's calls slash FaceTimes. He was being really distant with her, wasn't making his kids a priority in terms of calling them every day and wanting to talk to talk with them. Shanann did call him out, but he was always using the excuse of work and being tired or not hearing her phone calls. Now, she did have her suspicions of Chris's infidelity, and rightfully so, because in June, the month him and Shanann went on the business trip to San Diego, and conveniently, the month that her and the kids left for North Carolina, he started talking to a woman named Nicole Kessinger. Nicole worked in Anadarko Petroleum's environmental department and would see the operators, including Chris, at the department's office occasionally. This month, Chris came by her office and struck up a conversation one day, which led them to having their first meeting together outside of their workplace later in the month. So these two timelines are completely intertwined, Chris spending time and having his affair with Nicole while Shanann and the kids are gone, so pieces start coming together at this point. Now, throughout their stay in North Carolina, Shanann was texting her close girlfriends about her feelings towards Chris and how their relationship was going. She was telling them how he wasn't being affectionate. He There was like something off with them. And in an exact text she sent to a friend, she stated that maybe he was getting satisfaction from someone else. She later calls him out for cheating, but Chris denies everything. But even Shanann's parents suspected they were having issues. Her mother stated in an interview with Dr. Phil that, quote, he was just being cold. Now, Shanann also had the girls visit Chris's parents because they had also lived in North Carolina, but text conversations between her and Chris reveal the continued conflict between her and Cindy, Chris's mother. Um, during their visit, Cindy apparently tried giving Cece foods containing ingredients that she was very, very allergic to, and after an argument in which Shanann accused her of trying to hurt her daughter, she kicked Shanann and the kids out of the house. So Cece would later celebrate her third birthday in North Carolina, and Chris's parents did not attend. But nonetheless, the kids were able to see both sides of their grandparents, and that was an important thing for both Chris and Shanann. Now let's get back to Nicole Kessinger. So in July of 2018, Chris and Nicole develop a physical relationship with one another. The relationship is moving at an insanely fast pace. Chris was seeing Nicole about four or five times a week at that point, and he tells her that he's almost divorced. Later that month, with Shanann and the girls still out of town in North Carolina, he tells her the divorce is finalized. So Shanann has no idea that any of this is going on back at home, obviously. She had her suspicions, but she wasn't aware of all of these details. Reports state that Nicole goes to Chris's home for the first time on July 4th, and they have their first phone call on record on July 7th. They also go on a date to Shelby American Collection Car Museum on July 14th and spend the night at Great Sand Dunes National Park on July 28th, just two days before he leaves for North Carolina to be with his family. On July 30th, he gives her a love note before flying out of Colorado the next day. 
The entire trip in North Carolina between Shanann and Chris showed to be very tense between them. Um, But Shanann always strived to keep a positive attitude around the kids and she wanted them to enjoy their trip as much as possible. There are Facebook live videos on Shanann's account of all of them at the beach. She appears fine on videos and in pictures, but behind the scenes we know now that that wasn't the case at all. Towards the end of the trip, on August 4th, cell phone data would later reveal that while Chris was in North Carolina with his family, Nicole was back in Colorado looking at wedding dresses online for two hours. Suspicions continue to rise. So Shanann, Chris, Bella, and Cece leave North Carolina to head back home to Frederick, Colorado on August 7th. Now, Shanann actually had a trip planned to Scottsdale, Arizona for a retreat with Lavelle. She was only going to be gone a few days, but before she left for her trip on August 10th, she texts a friend stating that her and Chris had their best talk yet and resolved whatever issues and tension was between them. She even left Chris a handwritten note before she left for her retreat. I can read the end of her note in her exact words I got from reports online. So she wrote, I can't and won't lose you without fighting for us. I will always fight for our marriage and you. This is the hardest thing I have ever gone through, but you are worth it. Tell me what you need. I love you, baby, with all my heart. And she leaves for Scottsdale that same day. So while Shanann was gone for those few days, Chris continued his infidelity. On August 11th, he tells Shanann he's attending a Rockies baseball game with coworkers, but really he goes to a bar with Nicole, all while he hired a babysitter to care for the kids back at home. So Shanann ended up checking their shared bank statement later to see that Chris spent well over $60 for dinner that night. Now, Shanann's best friend and coworker actually was with her on this business trip in Scottsdale for Lavelle. And Shanann was telling her friend Nicole how she had just got off the phone with Chris, where he told her that he had salmon and a beer at the Lazy Dog restaurant and bar after the baseball game. Now, Shanann knew something was up because there was no way that a meal for a single person totals to well over $60, especially at that particular restaurant. Nicole and Shanann ended up checking the Lazy Dog restaurant's menu online for the exact prices of the salmon and beer Chris claimed to have ordered, and that only totaled to about around $30. So they questioned where the other $30 came from. Later, Shanann gets a notification around 10.30 p.m. from their home security system that Chris had just gotten home, but at that point it was well after dinner, so she was incredibly suspicious at that point. So where was Chris between the hours of after dinner and 10.30 at night when he got back home? But of course, after the meal, Chris and Nicole Kessinger shared at the Lazy Dog restaurant and bar, they go back to her place for a few hours and... Chris also ends up stopping by a gas station to get cash to pay the babysitter, explaining why Chris arrived home so late. So tensions rise between Shanann and Chris. Once again, Shanann's best friend later stated that at the airport on the way home to Colorado, Shanann told her, I quote, I haven't talked to him all day or hardly at all this weekend, and he wants to work out, so just I just let him go, end quote. Despite her emotions, however, she texts Chris, thank you for taking care of the kids while she was away. She even asks him what vegetables he wants with dinner that next day and texts him that her flight is finally taking off and she would see him soon. So Shanann gets dropped off at the house by her best friend Nicole Atkinson at around 1.45 a.m. on August 13th and this was the last time that Shanann was seen alive. 
That next day, Shanann had a doctor's appointment scheduled to make sure everything was normal with Nico. They had found out a little while back that he had an irregular heartbeat, so Shanann was extra cautious of that. And another thing I want to add is Shanann was known to be a very organized person. She stuck to a strict schedule daily, and I mean, rightfully so. She had two kids, worked for a company that kept her on her toes, always making sure she was staying up to date with her social media product advertisements. So when Shanann didn't show up for her 10 a.m. appointment that day and wasn't returning any of her friends or family's phone calls, people became really concerned. Considering Nico's heart condition was incredibly important to her and she would never leave the house without her cell phone, things became incredibly alarming. So Nicole Atkinson, Shanann's closest friend that she had just seen literally the night before, was the first person to take action after she came to find out Shanann missed her doctor's appointment and wouldn't answer any of her calls or texts. She decided to drive to her house around 1 p.m. that day and realized when she got there, Shanann's car was in the driveway with both Cece and Bella's car seats inside. So insanely worried at that point, she rushes to the door and begins knocking and ringing the doorbell continuously. Now at the house, they had a security system that was able to notify people when someone was at the front door and allowed them to converse with whoever was standing outside. Now at this point in time, Chris was assumed to have been at work because it was known he left the house around 5 to 5.30 in the morning every morning for his commute. So because Nicole was continuously ringing the doorbell and knocking, Chris was notified at work and was able to talk to Nicole through the intercom. And he told her not to worry at all because Shanann was taking the girls out to a play date, which definitely makes no sense considering her car was in the driveway with the girls' car seat still in the car and Shanann would never allow the girls to ride in a car without them. So yeah, Chris wasn't making any sense and Nicole just kept getting more and more worried as time passed. Nicole ends up calling the police around 1.40 p.m. to file a missing persons report on Shanann and the girls, and she tells the cops everything about how she was just with Shanann a few hours ago, and then she misses her doctor's appointment, which is very much not like her, and isn't responding to any calls, which is also not like her. Shanann was known to have her phone with her at all times. But shortly after, the police arrived to the house to do a welfare check, and they had tried to enter the home through the garage as there was access through a code system at the front to open the garage, but um, after they had asked Chris for the code, he said the system was actually not working, but he was going to be home in a few minutes to let them inside. So Chris arrived at the house and lets the police officer and Nicole inside where they all come to realize Shanann had left all her personal belongings she would typically have with her at all times outside of the home. So her purse, her wallet, her cell phone, medication, and even her wedding ring. But the girl's blankets were missing. So at that point, the cop begins to focus on Chris being he's the significant other, he's the father of the missing people in this case, and with most missing person reports, that is the person that is typically looked at first. And they ask him any and all questions that could potentially lead to them finding Shanann and the girls. Like, when was the last time he saw them? What state was Shanann in the last time he saw her? And was there an argument that was had between them? That sort of thing. Chris told the police officer that Shanann got back home from the airport around 2 that morning and he woke up around 5 a.m. But then the two of them had, in air quotes, an emotional conversation regarding their marriage. He said he told Shanann he wanted a divorce and it was incredibly emotional for the both of them. There was a lot of crying involved, but after that he claimed to have gone off to work and that was the last time he saw Shanann and the girls. 
The officer questioning Chris later called in a detective to come in and ask him questions, which is common in cases just to have multiple people questioning to see if maybe a person's story changes. But when the detective questioned Chris with the same questions the police officer had just asked him, his story was that Shanann arrived home at 1.48 a.m., which Yes, isn't too far off from 2 a.m. like he had just told the last police officer, but it's still a different answer from his last. And weirdly specific that he remembers 1.48 a.m.? I don't know. But then he tells the detective that they had an emotional conversation at about 4 a.m., which, again, was not what he told the police officer prior. But at this point in time, Shanann, Bella, and Cece were considered missing persons with no leads whatsoever as to where they could be. Over the next two days, Chris did multiple media interviews that were broadcasted all over the news. People began heavily following this case. Cops were going door to door in their neighborhood, handing out flyers, asking if neighbors had seen them recently, knew anything about where they could be, or if there was anything odd happening in their neighborhood over the last few days. So Chris did a lot of press where he told everyone how distraught he was about his family being missing, showing himself to be incredibly heartbroken and in his exact words, if they're not safe right now, that's what's killing me. The family home then was heavily searched with a canine search team where the only thing that was noticed was how spotless and perfect the house looked. It was almost like Shanann and the girls had disappeared into thin air because there was no sign of a messy runaway at all. Chris was later taken in for more questioning after this and was asked to explain the state of him and Shanann's marriage over the last few months. He told them about the six weeks him and Shanann spent apart and how during that time he felt they lost their spark. He tells this interrogator that he wonders if maybe he caused all of this and if he made her feel like if he doesn't love me maybe I should just go and she took off with the kids with her. Now at this point you and I both know how wrong and sus this is considering Shanann was the only one really putting an effort to save their marriage. Through her handwritten note she gave Chris before she left to Scottsdale and just her text conversations to him. She, clearly, she was not in any position to give up on their relationship, but no one is really aware of any of this at this point. They're only hearing Chris's side of the story. So Chris, that same day, had to take a polygraph test, which basically reveals if a person is lying about any of the information he is telling he or she is telling authorities. He is asked to answer a series of three questions, these being, one, did he physically cause Shanann to disappear? Two, if he was lying about the last time he saw her? And three, whether he knew where Shanann was or not. After he fails the polygraph test, lying about all three of his answers, it no longer became a conversation of where Shanann, Bella, and Cece could be, but of coming clean to the truth he was trying so desperately to hide. Everyone in the questioning room knew all along that he was not being honest, especially by his body language, the way that he looked when he entered the room. So they all knew that the story that he was telling wasn't true, but they were about to know the whole truth. So let's backtrack a little bit. The neighbors directly on the right side of the Watts family home had a surveillance camera that was positioned and looked directly into the Watts family home's driveway. And the day... Shanann, Cece, and Bella were announced missing persons. Their um, neighbor actually invited the officer that had gotten to their house that afternoon to come into his home to see the footage their camera caught that morning at around 5.15 a.m. 
The footage revealed Chris backing up his truck into their driveway, and he claimed to be packing up his supplies for work that day. In the footage, it showed Chris carrying something very large in a sheet, as well as a red oil can. Chris's neighbor privately told the officer how odd this was, considering Chris never loaded things into his truck before work, and he also told the officer that Chris was acting very odd when he was showing the officer his um, footage of the driveway that they had just captured. Chris was being very fidgety. He was talking way more than he usually does, saying just rubbish back and forth. When answering the officer's questions, it was almost acting like he was trying to cover something up. And through this footage and authorities being able to see that Shanann and the kids were last seen entering the home but never leaving, something was very wrong and they knew. At that point, police were able to put two and two together to realize that what Chris Watts was packing into his truck at five in the morning was Shanann and their two daughters. Now back to the interrogation room after Chris had failed his polygraph test, he asked to see his father who had flown from North Carolina to Colorado and, um, he was asked if he could talk to his father before he made an actual confession. So his father entered the room and the two were able to talk privately where Chris revealed to his father that in the early hours of the morning on August 13th, when him and Shanann had their emotional conversation, after he told Shanann he wanted a divorce, he was preparing to leave the house for work when he saw on the baby monitor downstairs that Shanann was attempting to smother Cece in her bed. He told his father he ran upstairs to find Bella already blue as she had unfortunately already passed away and he was unable to save her and at that point it was also too late to save Cece. He said he went into a fit of rage and strangled Shanann. After seeing him hurt their kids, he said he felt that he needed to hurt her as well. He didn't know what else to do but to take their bodies to his place of work and leave them there. At this point, his father is beyond devastated, but is completely under the impression that Chris was the good guy in this situation. He confessed the story to the police and revealed where he had taken Shanann, Bella, and Cece's bodies. He mapped out to the police his exact place of work, and he told them where he dug a shallow grave for Shanann, where she was found in the same sheet shown in the neighbor's security footage, and right beside where Shanann's body was found in two large oil tanks is where Chris told authorities the bodies of Cece and Bella were shoved into. I wanted to take a moment to say rest in peace to the souls of Shanann, Bella, and Celeste who were gone from this earth way too soon. Now, I'm sure you guys at this point in the case are remembering Nicole Kessinger, the woman who Chris was having an affair with. Now, Nicole actually came forward to the police on her own to share all the details of her and Chris's entire relationship without Chris being aware where she revealed many things. Them being that she was told by Chris when their relationship first began that the divorce he was getting with Shanann was mutual and that uh, she was unaware that Chris and Shanann were expecting another child together. And she claims if she had known this, she would have never, quote, wasted her time with Chris. But again, like I mentioned earlier, Nicole was looking up wedding dresses. Her and Chris's relationship was moving at an insanely fast pace. She had even been to the Watts family home twice during the time that Shanann and the kids were in North Carolina. So Nicole stated that she believed financial issues were the main motive behind Chris's actions, but their affair definitely sped up the process of their divorce. Now, Nicole knew something there was off the moment she heard about Shanann and the girls' disappearance. She told authorities she called Chris the night that Shanann and the girls went missing, and Chris told her that he was in bed and ready to go to sleep. And that was odd because in an interview that Chris had just done a few days before, Chris said the night that 
Shenan and the girls went missing, he was up the entire night. He stayed up, he left the lights on, he was waiting for his babies to come home. So later authorities come to find out that Chris Watts, he actually put his house on the market and unenrolled the girls from school after their disappearance. So clearly his stories aren't adding up and he's just starting to be caught in one big fat lie. Now, authorities claimed that they don't believe Nicole played a role in the deaths of Shanann, Cece, and Bella, but evidence does show some really sketchy behavior from her. Investigators were able to find her Google searches, which consisted of, I'm going to read them here, man I'm having an affair with said he will leave his wife, marrying your mistress, and what happened to Amber Fry, which if you guys don't know who Amber Fry is, Amber Fry was the mistress of Scott Peterson, who was suspected of killing his wife, Lacey Peterson. It was a similar case that occurred a few um, a few years prior. And the case was very popular and there was a lot of correlation with the situation she was in. She even looked up how much did Amber Fry make after she wrote a book about her affair with Scott. Um, Amber Fry's net worth, how much people hated Amber Fry after she came forward. But despite all of this, Nicole was never charged for having any part in the disappearance and deaths of Shanann and the girls. But I don't know, in my opinion, those searches are very weird, very oddly timed, and just doesn't, doesn't sit right with me. Now, throughout the six weeks Chris and Shanann spent apart when the girls and Shanann were in North Carolina with her family, and during the rise of Chris and Nicole's relationship, we obviously know that tensions were rising between Chris and Shanann. Shanann felt Chris was becoming more distant, and text conversations reveal uh, that Shanann was telling Chris, I quote, you don't fall out of love with someone in five weeks. She questioned if he was staying with her solely because of the kids, but he denied this and denied any suspicions towards him having an affair. And despite the ongoing issues they had, they both were choosing to fight for their relationship. But we obviously knew that this was not Chris's mindset at all. So back to the interrogation room after Chris had confessed this version of the story to his father. His father left the room, and this is when interrogators told Chris they had been in contact with Nicole Kessinger this entire time and were completely aware of his affair. The info she revealed to them about all the details of their relationship, the discrepancies with what he told Nicole about what he was doing the night that they all uh, went missing versus what he told the media. Interrogators told Chris they believed um, they knew what Chris's motive was. It looked like Chris was trying to get rid of his old life and start fresh with Nicole. And the only way to do that was to get rid of the old life with Shannon and the girls. He repeatedly said, I did not hurt these girls. I did not hurt these girls. And at this point in time, the media was going crazy. People were siding with Chris's version of the story that Shannon killed their girls. She was an unfit mother. But on that same day, on August 15th, Chris Watts was charged with three counts of first degree murder after confessing to the murder of Shannon, Bella, Cece, and Nico Watts. Shanann continued to be known for the amazing mother she was, and the false accusations placed on her by Chris were put to rest that night. Chris Watts' court hearing took place on November 19, 2018, where he pled guilty to nine counts, including murder in the first degree after deliberation as to Shanann, Bella, Cece, and Nico, unlawful termination of a pregnancy, and three counts of unlawful tampering with a deceased human body, all without the possibility of parole. He did not face the death penalty as Shanann's mother, Sandy, stated, quote, He made the choice to take those lives. I do not want to be in the position to make the choice to take his, end quote. Shanann's family never thought Chris was even capable of doing the inhumane, 
disgusting things that he did. They believed he was a good husband, a good father, and they could see how much love that Shannon and the, the girls had for him. But he was now seen by them as a heartless monster, quoting Shanann's father. Chris's mother, Cindy, she also spoke at the court hearing where she told Chris, and I quote, we love you and we forgive you, son. In February 2019, Chris told the entire story of how he killed his wife and kids, which aligned with the autopsy reports that came back. The morning of August 13, 2018, before Chris left for work, he told Shanann he wanted a divorce in which she said she knew of his affair and that he was never going to see his kids again. That's when he claims something took over him and he manually strangled Shanann, wrapping her body in the white sheet from their bedroom, and he placed Shanann, Bella, and Cece in his truck at 5 in the morning and drove them to his place of work, where he would then smother Cece with her beloved blankie, then Bella, and place their bodies in the oil tanks at his work site, in which he told his coworkers not to go to that day. Now, these babies and Shanann's life were taken in the most inhumane way possible, but I'm glad that the hatred is on and only on Chris Watts for this case, and Shanann is known to be the amazing mother that she was. You guys can watch the documentary on Netflix that shows real-life videos and pictures of Shanann with the girls and how anyone would be able to see that she was the best mom who did everything in her power to give her kids the best life. Now, later on, Shanann's family would later do an interview with Dr. Phil, where Sandy, Shanann's mother, said Shanann, Bella, and Cece had visited her and comforted her, and she was able to see baby Nico's spirit as well, who's a beautiful baby boy who very much resembled Frankie, Shanann's younger brother. I think it's amazing that she has that to hold on to and can remember her daughter and her grandchildren that way. I also know that there are charities Shanann's mom has helped orchestrated on behalf of her daughter and grandchildren and to help other mothers who are dealing with tragic loss. So their legacy definitely lives on. Now, Chris Watts, he remains in the Dodge Correctional Institution, which is a maximum security prison in Wisconsin, where he is serving life in prison, and rightfully so. I believe Shanann's parents said it best. He's a heartless monster who did not have the right to take away the lives of these beautiful people. He could have gotten a divorce. He literally could have walked out the door. Shanann would have been perfectly fine on her own taking care of the kids but no he wanted a new life and he was willing to do that in the most selfish and inhumane way possible he's going to spend the rest of his life paying for what he did but personally i think no amount of years can bring back those lives he took again rest in paradise to shanann cc bella and nico already everyone so that is the end of this case and my first true crime podcast I hope you enjoyed learning about this case or if you were already familiar with it, learning more about what exactly occurred. Um, if you enjoy true crime podcasts, let me know more through my Instagram and I can definitely continue to do them for you guys. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay safe and I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.